Hello and welcome to Odds and Evenings, the podcast about mathematics, puzzles, numbers and games. My name is Alex, there are two hosts, fun fact, uh, and I am one of them because I'm one person, so therefore there must be a second one and they're on the line. Hello. Hello Alex. What's your name? Alaric Stephen. How's it going? It's going alright. We haven't done one of these in a while. I haven't seen you since um, the conference we went to. Big Maths Jam. Big Maths Jam. Uh, it was good. I enjoyed it. I'm very sorry that I uh, missed one set of the talks. I was very sleepy. Yeah, we, we had a wonderful time. I, I, I wasn't really sure what to expect at the conference, and it exceeded my expectations. It's really good fun. It was all in one big room, and people were doing talks, but they were all very strictly timed. Everyone was doing five-minute talks. Uh, on all the tables, there were puzzles going around and competitions and things. It was two days of kind of geeking out. It was lovely. Yeah, I was very impressed by the quality of talk, um, not only from the content itself, but in the sort of semi-comedic delivery that most of them had. It wasn't an essential requirement, but if you read the slides on the website from previous talks, it could look really dry, but then when you actually go there, there's something about the delivery of them all, and the very receptive room, it's a very easy audience, but there's something about them all that, uh, yeah, it's a little bit, the tongue is in the cheek for quite a lot of it. And I like that. Yeah, lots of natural performers. What were the highlights for you? What good maths did you see? I quite enjoyed that I saw a particular toy that had something to do with binary that I remember seeing at uh, London Maths Jam. Was it the uh, the little locked box with all the loops? It's the, yeah, the loops, yeah. A Chinese lock. It's got a French name. Um, Baucaterre? Something lock along those Yeah. We've mentioned grey code on the, the podcast before. I know for a fact that the solution to that is something to do with grey code, but I didn't get my hands on it during the conference. I just remember seeing someone playing with it, like, quite slowly. I remember seeing it being solved at London Maths Jam, and it took ages, and it was something iterative. Yeah. That meant, like, you did a big thing, and you were, like, only halfway there, and then you had to do it all, like, back in reverse or something, and then it all came out. A bit um, like when you're doing Towers of Hanoi, where every extra disc you add on, it's you're doing... All of what you've done before, plus an extra move, plus all of what you've done before. Yeah. Um, and I, I think another highlight for me was, so I was sitting behind some sort of veterans of the event, and I was watching you do your talk. Um, you were the uh, second from Headliner, the lead supporting act to the, uh, <laughs> to, to the main talk on the first day. And I remember when you finished yours, and I've already told this to you already, but this is just for the, you know, for the listeners... When you finished yours, these people who seemed like they'd been going since the first one almost did something which I hadn't really seen them do for the others, which was to comment how good it was, Um, which is really great. And it was really great to see uh, Odds and Evenings represent so well. So thank you, Alaric, for doing such a good talk. And uh, thank you for branding all of my uh, PowerPoint. Oh, yeah, we (laughs) we, uh, branded the PowerPoint. It was uh, gold on crimson uh, as the odds, yellow and red. That's the, that's the odds and evenings colours are. Um, yeah, how about you? What were your highlights? Um, we finally got some games of Nomic in. Oh yeah? We played some Nomic? Um, so, uh, in the evening, um, people could propose things to happen on tables. And we um, did two games of Nomic with people who had never heard of it before. Some people had. Some people had played it back decades ago. Yeah. And we had a couple of laptops between us, and we were all editing uh, Google Documents. And um, it was good frivolity. Yeah, I think next year I'll charge my laptop a little better. <laughs> that was the uh, ticking time bomb on it. 
Yeah, exactly. No, there were loads of really good talks, but a lot of them were quite visual things. This is the problem with maths. Lots of shape yes. stuff. Um, there is a, a movie about kind of like Conan the Barbarian type movie. It's called like The Last Warrior or something like that. And there's a moment in it where some guy, he's like a Viking and he's going to help out some Celts or something like that. Um, okay. And one of the people that's coming with him is a poet. And so he is literate and he can uh, he can write things down. And uh, one of the sort of warlords describes or says to him, he says, you, you can draw sound. Um, which is a great way of talking about writing. Yeah. Right. It's to, it's, it's to draw sound. And I think mathematics is sort of like you can draw quantities or you can like draw ideas yeah ideas and pattern and structure yeah which isn't to say that you can't talk about maths I mean we've tried uh, quite hard for a while and uh, yeah that was good uh, any, any other final things on the uh, on the maths jam I, I think we'll leave it there I think we'll drip feed it into the show over the next couple of episodes yeah yeah exactly there was so much to think about and I think it's been a year since we started doing the show, right? When was the first episode? I think it was the 10th of December. And so we just wanted to say thank you, everybody, for hanging on in there with us for the first year, helping us find our groove, uh, helping us uh, evolve through various microphone techniques and, and, and microphones. And uh, thank you, everybody, who's sort of given their feedback over the course of this year. It's been a great ride. And uh, we, you know, as much as it seems like we may have slowed down a little bit, uh promise we haven't. And uh, we'll just press on lovely anything else to say on that no all good happy birthday to the podcast happy happy birthday odds and evenings right enough sappiness and conferences who wants to talk about mathematics right okay I've got something it's something I saw on twitter I've been uh, getting really into maths on twitter recently yes um shout out to whoever that is uh, who does the tiny little geometry puzzles every day. Uh, Katerina Shearer. I attempt them every day. <laughs> uh, sometimes they turn up like in the middle of work and I've got something else on, but I always think about them. But yeah, Twitter's been pretty good. Twitter is, is, is good for maths. Um, at Odds and Evenings is our Twitter account. What did you see there? Um, so it's that time of year, December, where lots of different places do advent calendars of problems. Right. Um, so I mean, some of the best ones. Um, Matt Scroggs of Chalk Dust does a, a good... Uh, one every year uh, but this isn't from this this is from something called a Mathagon which seems to be a textbook thing but it's just an interesting problem I saw retweeted a couple of times um, so it defines something it doesn't define it very well so I've had to do a bit of digging about it um, but they're called trapezium numbers or trapezoid mm. numbers for Americans so we're going to be using the word trapezium but we just mean trapezoid trapezium um, so a trapezium number imagine like triangle numbers so you've got everything uh, drawn as dots, yeah. arranged as an equilateral triangle. But imagine that you could take off some of the layers there from, say, the, the top. Layers? Um, so a triangle number counts as a trapezium as well, but it's like it's got a length of one right up at the top. So all the triangle numbers are going to count as trapezium numbers as well. Um, but we can take off all the layers, but it has to have at least two layers left. So it can't just be a line of numbers. Okay. It has to have kind of at least two height here. So all the triangle numbers but one. Yes. Yeah. And this puzzle, it gives you a whole lot of examples just visually of um, what trapezium numbers look like, which is how I've got these kind of rules of what they are. And mm. it says, 
there's only one number between 1000 and 2000 that doesn't form a trapezium. One number that isn't a trapezium number between 1000 and 2000. Yeah. And the puzzle is to find out what it is. Okay. But I thought we could think more generally about these. Yeah. So, I have a formula in my head, a generalized formula for what a trapezium number is. Okay. Um, Which is, you pick an integer. Yep. um, And then you square it. And then you add the triangular number that is one below what that integer is onto that. Right? Okay. If you think about it as a parallelogram with a triangular number slapped on the end of it. Right, okay. That That's not how I was thinking of constructing them at all. But, mm. yeah, let, let's think about that. Okay. Does it have to be a square number? Yes, I suppose it does. Yeah, n squared plus half n n plus one. Okay, counterexample to that. The number six... Imagine it as a, a triangle number, so three on the bottom, then two, then one. How are you splitting that into a square and a triangle? Oh, sorry, it's not a square. You pick one integer, and then you pick another integer, which is like the height. Okay. And then you multiply those two numbers together, and then you add the triangular number of the height minus one. Or the minus the height minus one triangular number gets added to it. Okay, so talk me through the sixth case. So in the sixth case, that's one, kind of like quote, width, unquote. Yep. Three is the height. Okay. And two is the triangular number. So three times one, which is the, the top left strip of three. I see what and, you're doing. And then the yep. second triangular number. Yeah. So you're turning a trapezium into a parallelogram plus a triangle. I see. Yeah. yeah. Which I think if you plug in, or like if you had a computer, if, if this was a uh, Project Euler, yep. you could then make a big matrix out of these and look for... And see which one doesn't happen. Yeah, but you're talking about a number that generates a trapezium number. Are you saying that, oh, all numbers between 1 and 2,000, except for 1, are trapezium numbers? So between 1,000 and 2,000. Between 1,000 and 2,000 are trapezium numbers. Apart based from one of on them. The, yeah, based on the two numbers that define a trapezium number, which yep. is the, but that, the base and the height, probably. Yep. Yeah. I think base and height is quite a good way to do it. Because it's natural, yeah. it gives you, um, instead of splitting into two shapes. Yeah, but we're using the parallelogram version of height, are we? Uh, it's equivalent, right? So the height of the parallelogram ends up being the height of the trapezium as well. Yeah, but I mean, is is the height a, a diagonal line or is the height a vertical line? I'm counting it as a, yes, I suppose so. Because yeah. the area of, a, not to get confused, but the area of a parallelogram is literally the vertical height times, it's like a square. Because we're talking about a discrete number of dots here. Yeah. Yeah, the diagonal is what we were using. Yeah, I, I mean, I, that's what I thought, but I was just clarifying for the sake of the uh, the audience. Yep. Yep. I, I've kind of been thinking of them as truncated triangle numbers, or possibly truncated, but triangle numbers. Okay. Um, yep. Because we know everything there is to know about triangle numbers. We know the generating mm. formula. Yeah. It's almost the difference between two triangle numbers, where one of the triangle numbers can be anything up to two less than the triangle number before because we yeah. have to leave at least two rows here so your formula for that one would be the, the base is the larger triangular number yep minus the height which is minus the uh minus the base the difference minus the between, height yes yeah the difference between them's triangular number yep yeah just a thought here uh yeah maybe we carry on with the um the difference between triangle numbers in a minute 
if we just think about ones of height 2, we can write any odd number in that form. This is true. Because it's just a number with the number before it. Yeah. We can also incidentally do any multiple of 3 as well. How do you do that? Because the second triangular number is 3. Well, we, we already have the odd number 3. So that's, that's the unique case, is we already have 3 yep. being one of these. But then, if you do, um, if you do the what the, the six that we were talking about before, the third triangular number. Okay. And then you can keep adding multiples of three to the left of it. Yep. Okay. So you can do any like that. You can also do uh, the well, four. Th- like you can extend? do the fourth triangular number plus any amount of four. The fifth amount of triangular number plus any amount of five. It won't be multiples because that's not how the triangular numbers work, right? Like the fourth triangular number is not. Oh wait, it's half n and n plus, plus one. one. Right? Yep. So not always. Like for four, in the four case, it's ten, which is not a multiple of four. That's a, a good way of thinking, though. Yeah. Because the five case does work. You go from the, uh, the ten, and then you just keep adding fives. Right. Think of that more like the going from the fifteen and adding fives. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Is it, is it a prime thing? Because it's four that acted up then. There's five and three and two were fine. So it, it is fine when the nth triangular number is a multiple of n. Okay. Does that work for 7? So the 7th triangular number is up and n plus 1, 4 times 7, which is whatever that is. Yeah, so it has a 7. And in fact, the generating form here for the triangle numbers, n, n plus 1 over 2, because all the prime numbers are going to be odd past that point, so they're going to be n, then n plus 1 is even, so the divide by 2 just cancels out, and so you get a factor of n. So for all the odd ones, you can do it. For the even ones, it gets a little... Yeah, so it wasn't it's a thing, it was an even thing. Which at least homes down our, our search quite a lot. So we can do the multiples of any odd number. We can rule those out. Yeah. Is that true? Ooh, what about when they just dip underneath? So in the 7 case, you got 42. Well, wasn't that fine? So we, we do the, the 7, the 7th triangle number. Yeah. Which is 28. And then we just keep adding 7s. But what about 14? Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. Multiples, multiples of 7 that are lower than the 7th triangular number. Multiples of n that are lower than the nth triangular number. Okay, I see, yeah. Yeah. I like that logic, though. It rules well, out the big ones. Let's assume that that's fine, because when you get to 1,000 to 2,000, I think these things sort of run away from each other a little bit. Oh, I thought it was running away the wrong way, then. I think it's running away in the correct direction. Because the triangle numbers go, they're quadratic in speed. And so you get a quadratic, like, overhang uh, that you have to check under. Yeah, but we've got a big, like, buffer room before we get to a thousand. Like, for the amount of stuff that we can rule out. Because yeah. we can rule out all the multiples of seven that are greater than a thousand. And we've only got to, like, check in for, oh, doesn't it? Like, only when we're worrying about the triangular numbers that are larger than a thousand do we have to worry about these multiples of... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And when do triangular numbers reach a thousand? Takes a little while, right? Uh, yeah. Well, it's roughly the square root, so roughly thirty-ish. There are thirty-two okay. square numbers under a thousand. Should we think about differences of triangles for a bit, and then maybe come back to this? Yeah. Thinking about tri- differences of triangle numbers, if we had um, the base and the height, so B and H, maybe. Or I suppose we want to talk about the difference of these things. So we've got the the beef triangle number minus yep. the uh, the difference between the base and the height. Okay. Triangle number. Maybe a subtractive weight isn't a, g- a good thing there. Maybe we have the height of the. F- mm. 
Well, you just talk about the absence. The base and the absence. Okay. The base and the absence. Or the void. That's easier to say. Uh, can I think of the base as the void plus the height of the actual trapezium? Because can... then they're both positive Yes, you things. can. Yeah. So um, it's the the height plus the voids triangle and the number minus the triangle number, which is just the void. Yeah. So popping in some algebra here. I, I'm just going to do some expansion. I won't talk you through the actual algebra. I'm going to see what it gives. And if it gives anything good, then I'll uh, report back. Hmm. Okay. So I, I've gone in with H being the height of the trapezium. Yep. Uh, v being the void, so the extra height that we're taking away. Yep. And I've just popped them into the equations for um, triangular numbers and done the subtraction, the difference between them. And it's okay. come out as H over 2 multiplied by a bracket of H plus 2V plus 1. H plus 2V plus 1. So, oh, that's a bit similar to Euler's formula, isn't it? I, f- I think because it's got a V in there, that's the it's looking like it. That's what's making you, but it's, uh, that's also one number plus another number plus a number. Do you know what I mean? Like two variables plus some random number. I know it's two and not one, but... Yeah. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the triangular formula, but that I suppose that makes sense. It would do, yeah. So if we think about different, putting different numbers in there, because we've got an H multiplied by another bracket that has an H in it. Yeah. And it's all got to divide by two there as well. I'm thinking about odd and even things here. If either H is going to be even, because H would just be even, or H plus 2V plus 1 is even. Because the 2V there is definitely an even thing. Yeah. The plus 1 is definitely an odd thing. And so it's, it's like th- this whole thing is always going to be... um even on one side or the other side. Okay. Mm, there's a divide by two. Maybe that was always going to happen. No. So maybe this way isn't productive. I'm going to stare at it a bit for, for a bit longer. What were you thinking? Well, you've got two things there that multiply by each other, and one is all one is always even. And so you have a di- you have a divide by two, which is fine. And actually, if you think about it, if that thing was always going to spit out even numbers, then there wouldn't be just one number that's excluded between. 1,000 and 2,000, there would be 500 numbers that are excluded. Yeah. Yeah. But you've got the half, so that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But that's quite good, right? If you multiply all that out and make it messy again. Okay. And factorize. Uh, yeah, so we've got h squared plus 2hv plus h all over 2. Yeah. If that's more helpful for you. Let's go even messier. h squared over 2. Half plus- h squared. Plus, plus half H plus HV. Right. So, H is never going to be odd to spit out a whole number, right? Oh, no, because no, you, you have an odd times odd and that's halved. So that's fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, literally, this is there's got to be an analytic way to do it, right? Yeah. Find where there are no two H's or V's here that spits out to make that number. Is there a problem with getting lots of powers of two? How do you mean? So we was, we had two things that multiplied together, one of which was definitely even, but it was divided by two, but that was fine. But getting bigger powers of two, like how would you just get powers of two by themselves? Because you, you, the other thing is definitely an odd thing. Oh, do you think it's 1024? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think it might be. We've got two things multiplied together. One of them is odd and one of them is even. Yeah. It's got divided by two there as well, which just gets rid of one of the factors of two. That's fine. Yeah. But if I multiply two things together, one of them is odd and one of them is even, 
unless the odd thing is one, we're not going to get powers of two. Okay. And the odd thing being one, or well, one of the things was just age, the height. That can't be one because we can't just have one layer. True. And the other thing had, I mean, it had three terms of them, three terms in it. One of them was one, so the other two things would have to be zero, zero and zero. Hmm. And so that can't be one either. And so they must both be bigger than one. So we have at least one odd factor, which is at least three. That sounds pretty convincing to me. Not gonna lie, that yeah. sounds that sounds completely convincing. So, a thousand and twenty-four. But I mean, we've shown that one of these definitely works. Uh, so one of them definitely doesn't work. How do we prove that all ones can be made other than that? Okay, so this is bonus question, right? Yeah, because <laughs> we've solved the idea. So now we're now we're trying to prove the premises. So if you I, can get every multiple of three, yeah. but you must, you, but you've got to be able to get primes in this thing, right? Well, the primes are all odd. Wasn't your algorithm at the start quite good for generating odd numbers? I think it was your argument, which is that you do, yeah, you just do the one that's height two, and then you can make every, any odd number you want. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's fine. Notice what we're doing here. It doesn't actually matter about the shape of the thing. We're finding the sum of consecutive numbers from some number to some other number. So the the shape thing almost seems like a misnomer here. This is how do we find the sum of at least two consecutive numbers? That's the equivalent problem. The sum of at least two consecutive numbers. Yeah. So you could think of a trapezium which was, say, height 3 and base 17 as 15 plus 16 plus 17. Yes, it is, yeah. While triangle numbers are the sum from 1 to n of consecutive numbers, yeah. these are the sum from starting from somewhere else, some value other than 1, and going up to some from, number. Yeah, from k... To K N. to N, yeah. Yeah, where K is more than 2 less than N. K is less than or equal to N minus 2. That's the precise way of saying it. Which, so the wordy way of, uh, well, a different way of saying that is the sum of at least two consecutive numbers. Yes, yes, that's the uh, that's the prose way of saying it. P-R-O-S-E and P-R-O-S. <laughs> um, and so the sum of three consecutive numbers is going to be a multiple of three. It's three times the middle number. Yep. Um, the sum of four consecutive numbers is going to be four times the number between the two middle numbers. Okay. Did you mentally take off a little triangle from the top, uh, from the bottom and put it on the top? No. I was imagining them drawn out as shapes, uh, lopping mm. some off. I'm on number lines now. Rectangle. Okay. No, no, my, my, my cogitation is now number lines. You've moved past I'll, shapes. I've moved past and beyond shapes at this point. <laughs> um, so the, the sum of six consecutive numbers is going to be six times the number between the two. Okay. Between the two middle ones, between the third and the fourth. I don't know if this helps, but these are just facts. <laughs> just adding weapons to the arsenal, and some of them might be pickaxes and some of them might be guns. Well, that's quite a nice non-visual way of proving that uh, you can do any multiple of an odd number. The number of ones you're adding up times the middle one of those. Uh, so, for example, 21. How are you doing that? Tw- what do you mean? Say you wanted to make the number 21. Yeah. Wh- how does your uh, conceptual way work? What 21 is uh, the sixth triangular number. Oh, okay, right, yeah. Uh, 35. Yeah, the problem is it's difficult to do it backwards. Yeah. Right? 35 we know is the fifth triangular number plus some multiple of five. Yeah, so we can do specific examples. My, my problem with your thing is the lack of being able to go backwards with it. Yeah, you can't go backwards with it, yeah. Yeah. 
Hang on, we, we had a formula here. We had the whole H, open brackets, H plus... Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we can calculate through all that. Like, like we, we can, can just, just pop numbers into that, right? Yeah, we can just turn the handle on that and just prove that we can, computationally. But we is there an analytic way of, of getting to the answer and proving it without having to just turn the handle on, on that formula? I think that formula might be quite useful for finding the number of different ways that you could uh, do a number as well. Because lots of these are non-unique. Because for any other one, say the fifth one, yeah, could, like 15 is also, you can do that. Well, 20. 7 plus 8. Yeah. Yeah. 25 is a 1 5 high and it's also 1 2 high as well. So, listeners, uh, we're happy that we can't make 1024. We're not happy that you can't get any of the others in between. What I'm not happy about is that I cannot prove without just showing that I can do all of them that I can do all of them. Right, so. This is one that I had actually thought about before, and I think, like, one time when I was feeling a little bit at a loose end with regards to what I wanted to do in life, I think I searched cryptography, and this was one of the first things that came up. So, apologies to cryptographers out there if this is super basic, but I think it's very interesting and it's very approachable from the perspective of a regular mathematician, and especially our target audience of people who've kind of forgotten degree-level maths. Um, and it came suggested, resurrected into my mind by a chap by the name of Duncan McNeil on Twitter, who uh, tweeted us October the 19th uh, about this. Uh, we've kind of been promising that we would do it. So here we go. This is us doing it. And by the way, listeners, if you want to suggest random things to talk about, especially if it's cryptography, I like to get my teeth sunk into that. Particularly, if you want me to do it, suggest a cryptography thing. Uh, if you want anyone else to do it. If you want it to be a uh, give or take then, um, you know, just try your luck and send us something. So, Shamir's Shared Secrets. Okay. Or also known as Samir's Secret Sharing. There's a a website uh, that's written by a guy called Eric Raffaloff who did a good um, rundown of it. And this is a what I'm talking about that I'll use to, uh, to describe it is a loose approximation of this website so shout out to ericraffaloff.com for this so imagine that you have some kind of vault like it might be a bank okay and you want to protect the bank vault and so you put a lock on it let's say you need a particular key to get into the vault um could be physical key could be uh, a number like a code pad type thing yep you're kind of the most trusted person it's your responsibility to look after the vault but also you kind of want yourself to be available that you can unlock the vault at any time. The first way you do it, you go about it, is you just have the key and it's just on you. And yep. you have the key. And then when someone wants to get in the vault, they say, Alaric, can I get can I get in the vault? And uh, you say, sure. Sure, let me just let me just walk on over to the vault. The um, problem being that I don't it might take them time to find me all the time. It might take them time to find you all the time. Uh, like and then one day, let's say you're ill. And someone really needs to get something out of the vault, but they can't because you're ill, and you can't tell them what the code is, and you can't give them the key, because yep. they might copy the key, or they'll remember what the code is. Okay, got it. And so really, this whole like one person looking after the vault thing is not great. So you decide that you're going to have uh, a bunch of people who are going to look after the vault. Okay. Is this going to be like one of the situations for launching nuclear missiles where you have to have two independent keys both at the same time unlocking stuff this is more powerful than that okay 
That's that is a that's like a lesser version of this. Um, let, let's say it's somewhere in between, you also had the idea of like you split. Let's say it's a number code. You split it into two pieces, and you and you gave it to two to, to two people that you kind of trusted, but one by themselves wasn't capable of uh, opening the vault by themselves because they only had half the key. Um, but then it turns out that that has the same availability issues. In fact, that's even worse. So they can either get me or they can get the two. Both of them. Level yeah. one people. Yeah. yeah. But if any one of you is sort of off, then... Uh, like, if you're ill, then yep. they get both of those. If one of them is ill, then they need to come to you. And if the two of them get together and decide to collude, yes. then suddenly they've got the, the entire key and they can just replicate it however they want. Okay. So you kind of need to find a way to have something a bit loose and a bit of a looser way of of sharing this secret, this key. I mean, it does feel like a contradiction in terms at the moment, because it's you want it that they can both do it without you, in case you're not available, but also you don't want them to be able to do it without you. You don't want them usurping. That feels contradictory. So the way to, to sort of handle that is is to deflate the ego and to stop yourself from being the one person who can do it. Okay. So the solution is to lose lose the like the single dictator being able to open the vault type person. Yep. And delegate yourself into let's say five different people. And let's say that there's uh, five different people and you want to say, "Okay, it takes three of us to open the vault." Okay. Any three. Mm-hmm. Um now with the nuclear code thing, if you had five people, there would be five keys and you needed all five. Yep. But in this case, the power of uh, Shamir's secret sharing is that you can set any amount of people and then any number of those for it to work. So there is clever stuff. Uh, this is this is what sort of reminded me. It was kind of maths jammy. Uh, people from maths jam like to do physical things that are interesting. Yep. There is clever stuff you can do with physical locks and keys and padlocks that okay, like, interlock that's, with each other. Yeah. That's where my mind was going. I've written an article. I'll put it in uh, the show notes about yep. um, making logic gates out of keys and yep. nor and that sort of thing. Um, but I'll, I'll leave that in the show notes for people if they want it. Yeah. Which way but let's you go? say Let's say that there are actually 20,000 people and you need any five of them. <laughs> Suddenly <laughs> the, the locks and yeah. keys situation gets a bit out of hand. Yeah, millions of keys, massive yeah. locks. Yeah, exactly. So we need a good way of doing it. Uh, throw out the idea of a key and come back with a code pad and let's do this with maths. Okay. So yep. the answer actually lies in high school algebra. Okay. Um, which is what's great about this. So, what do you call a parrot that's starved to death? I don't know. Polynomial. Okay. Um, and so the answer is <laughs> polynomials. How many points do you need to draw a line? Um, two to uniquely define. Yes. To draw a unique line, you need two points. Any two points on those lines. Let's say that that's the line y equals 2x. Then you only need to know any two integers where one is twice the other in order to draw that line. Okay. Yeah? Yep. How many points do you need to uniquely draw a quadratic? It feels like three. It is three. Yeah. And for a cube, it's four, and so on. Yeah. So this is the underlying thing about Shamir's secret sharing, which is if you need... Uh, four different things. So four different keys. If you need four different keys, oh, let, let, let's go with the example that we we're going before, right? So there's five of you, and you need yep. three different keys. 
Okay. Right. A, a polynomial is defined. Yep. Which you can actually generate yourselves. Um, with three of you, you but define each a polynomial. Person has a point. Yep. Yes. You, each person has a point, and the uh, the constant of that polynomial, let's say, is the secret, is the code. The constant of say the x squared. The at, at the x equals zero point. Okay. Yeah. Then that like the constant there is the code. Yep. And so you can do that with some kind of like one-time pad or some kind of crazy hashing thing or something just to uniquely define that. That's how you do it. So you have this polynomial function that's uniquely defined where that constant is what the code is. Um, But in order to uniquely define it, you will need a polynomial of the appropriate order such that it takes that many people to solve it. Okay. I mean, that doesn't sound bad. It's like it's only one out between number of points needed and the order. That's easy to generate. Exactly. So for any degree of polynomial function of at least that degree plus one points, you can you can plot additional points. And so extrapolating that, you can plot the x equals zero point. Yeah. So um, for a quadratic, the order is two, and so you need three points. And so with your five people and you're needing three, you could give those five people any number of points on the quadratic. Yep. And uh, as long as it's not the actual x equals zero one, because that's that's the secret. And then it, that means any three of them can come together and they can define that secret. And thus the secret is shared. Yeah, I like it. It's really clever. Um, so because this is using computers, um, I'm now going to uh, approach the point of the uh, description which says, because computers. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so, because computers, it was initially defined as the constants and the points have all got to be positive integers. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Easy uh, to well, store. Yeah, exactly. That, that will happen, like, if your constants are all integers, then all your points are, like, probably going to be integers too. Uh, in fact, they have to be integers as well. As long as x is an integer, any polynomial of integer constants is going to be an integer. Yep. Yep. So unfortunately, there are some attacks you can pull on this because of this 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 integer arithmetic. Let's say that you needed three points. You're, you're back at your um, this sort of quadratic, but you've got two points. What you can do is you can plug in the x values of those points. Get some and and then no y equations. values. Yeah. And then you can you can take them away from each other. Yep. And then because you know they're integers, you can just start putting the integers in until they're equal to each other. Um like all the, like the possible integers. And then because you know that the the constants of the polynomial are integers, you yep. can then start to plug in candidates. Uh and you'll and you'll find it eventually when like let's say you isolate one of those constants onto one side of the equation you know that that's positive and an integer. So you just start plugging in uh, uh, positive integers onto the right-hand side of the equation until it goes negative and you know it can't be negative. So there is a range for, yeah, which, yeah, it's, for, for, for which it's correct, yeah. And so you get some good examples of the uh, of the secret. Like You reduce the candidates for what the secret can be, and then if it's a code pad, you just go in once a day and put in a wrong answer until eventually you, know, it, you, you get in the bolt. So there's a way that you can fix this, and I think you're about to suggest it. 
Okay, well, I was just kind of going to think aloud. Yeah. Extending it to bigger number systems, so like the rationals, feels like it's just the same problem multiplied, well, divided through by some sort of constant. So that that feels like it doesn't help. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's the same cardinality. Giving people real numbers, like non-integer ones, is bad because then they've got to have something physical on them that remembers this horrible real number. Yeah. Um, nice integer strings are much easier for people to remember as passwords. And it's great for computers to remember too. Yeah. Yeah. So we need some other way of obscuring it. Yeah, and I don't think it's thirds either. Because thirds are just integers with some extra rules as to how you can add and multiply them together. With a funny line drawn around them. Yeah. Yeah. So, Shamir, when he... Uh, suggested this in a paper, very powerful paper. It's two pages long. It's good. Mm. Um, worked out a way that you can increase the number of candidates to infinity. The answer to that is with modulo arithmetic. Okay. So let's say that the output of your of your function, your polynomial function, is not the output of the polynomial, but you have this additional thing that you're all aware of. Like every every member of the uh, of the sort of council of the key holders yep. uh, can can be aware of this modulo, and let's just say it's like modulo one hundred nineteen. Yep. And so if you try to do this, like plug in the x value for one that you know what the answer is, and plug in the x value for the other that you know what the answer is, and take one away from each other to try and work out the final uh, the final constant you need, you're not going to be able to narrow it down. To oh wait till it goes below zero and then and then like these are the possible uh, answers because it's just going to keep modulo going around and around and around so you'll have an infinite number of suggestions for uh, for, for for the final constant. So each person's individual kind of uh, number that they've put in, they put it into the polynomial. They only see the answer modulo say 119. Yeah. It's not just the final thing to actually unlock the door. It's everyone's individual number. It's surprising that that still gives enough information to work out what the right thing is. Well, it's just... yeah. So, say we're quadratic, we need three points. It's interesting that three is still enough, even if you're not given where the points are, just they're modulo. Yeah. I'm trying to think about what the graph looks like, modulo. It's like every time it goes off the top of your graph comes back in the bottom yeah your plotting screen and so i think that um polynomials are uniquely defined in that like recurring space where it just keeps coming back in the bottom they're playing in kind of um pac-man space they want they're on a um yeah pac-man space yeah they're they're on a they're all on a big cylinder like you think of the 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 graph that yeah like you fold if you go out the top you come in the bottom you just fold that round so it's a big uh infinite uh cylinder so with the quadratic, I'm thinking I've I've got two points, and then I'm fussing around with all the dials trying to make it fit a third point, even if that point is um has had some of this kind of like chopping going on, modulo 119. Yeah, it's not obvious to me that I can't do it with two different gradients. Two different gradients. So I've got two points fixed, and I'm changing the various different constants in my quadratic. Say the number in front of the um, the x squared and the linear term as well, mm. and I'm keeping it so as I fix one 
it changes the other one automatically, so it still goes through the original two points. Yeah. Because it's modulo 119, say I'm aiming for a third point off to the right. Yeah. It feels like I could aim for that, or I could aim for that plus 119, or I could aim for that plus two lots of 119. And it feels like multiple different values would give me... Multiple different functions would give me the same thing. And I, I think that's true, but possibly they all give the same readout, and so it doesn't matter. Well, you don't have a third point to sort of aim for. I'm thinking about there being multiple functions which fit those three points. Ah, uh, okay, right, right. You're trying to... Okay, fine. Yeah. So you're not the attacker in this case. You are no. someone who has three points, and you're trying to work find another function that hits... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it feels like multiple functions would work, but maybe they all give the same end result out. But then maybe they all cross the y-axis at the same... Yeah. At the same point. But that that's not at all obvious to me whether that'd be true or not. Hmm. Yeah, three points in sort of modulo space. Do they hit the same? Well, I mean, let's take it down a level. I should do linear with two points. It's yeah. definitely going through one point, and then you're just changing the gradient to make it hit another point. There are an infinite number of different gradients that will work to hit that point because you're hitting yeah. it or 119 above or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's take it where we know. Let's take it where we know one of them goes through the origin. So okay. let's say the line is like one of the points is 1, 1, and the yeah. other one is. Okay, let, let's do something with a slightly higher gradient. Let's do where one of the points is 1, 2. Yep. Another point is 2, 4. Okay. So your gradient is 2. And let's make it modulo 4. Can you go through those two points in such a way that the line doesn't go through the origin? And I highly, highly suspect the answer is no, based on the weird little pictures that are coming up in my brain that I can't uh, express with words. So what modulo are we doing this in? Let's do modulo 4. Okay. Oh, wait. <laughs> Oops. <Yeah. laughs> Maybe we need to do modulo 8, because then you know, one of our things is actually on the bottom rather than on the top. Well, well, that doesn't really matter. Let's do modulo 4. Okay, with modulo 4, that point two four is also the point two zero. Let's do That's 2, 0, yeah. yeah. Which means that there is a line which has a gradient of negative a half. Which has, you know, has a, a wide gradient of negative three. 2. Has has a gradient of negative two, one two to two zero. Yep. Has a gradient of negative two, so you end up at four, which is the origin. Oh, you're right. Okay. Huh. Hmm. Okay. I tried some other things, and it still works. Now <laughs> <So laughs> the other problem is prove it, and it's probably super easy with algebra to prove it. It's just visually. Well, this is just the linear case, but let's say we have a point A B. And we have another point CD. Yep. And we're going to be in modulo M. Modulo M, yep. Yep. Again, let's let's aim for the origin. Let's say it goes through the origin. Let's just sure. do that specific case. Yeah. So uh, the gradient is D minus B over C minus A. Because it's... Yeah. Difference. Difference of Y over yeah. difference I always X. hated that formula. I never trusted it. Okay. I didn't... Yeah, but anyway. <laughs> sorry, that's my own sick form qualms. Yes. Uh, but I believe it now, yeah. Uh, so the general equation of a thing is y equals that gradient, change of y over change in x, yeah. uh, times x. Yeah. If I added on m to our, our second y coordinate, yeah. 
So instead of the point CD, we're going for C, D plus M. Mm-hmm. Then the gradient is now D plus M minus B over C yep. minus A. Doing Y minus Y1 equals M X minus X1. Just equation of a straight line. It still goes through the original point, so Y minus B equals that new gradient. Yeah, okay, yeah. You, you get basically the same thing that you had before, but yeah. with an extra M added on. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it may be that you're hitting different points on the origin, but those are always going to be up by a modulo. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to get a lot more complicated as we do things with uh, higher order differentials. But these kind of rules around how these things work, it that's the nice thing about polynomials, is you can talk about them in general terms and you can just do the super easy case. Yeah for most of the time it's one of the neat properties of them is they're generally similar to each other just no matter what the order this is surprising and I like it Uh uh-huh yeah good right I think we've been talking about it for long enough but some interesting things to think about um, is how does this apply and this is in the original uh, suggestion to us is how does this apply to things like uh, Byzantine fault tolerance where you're trying to pass secrets between each other like does Byzantine general problem yeah, from the episode that we talked about that pin, because the like the general or the commander can like give his share of the secret or whatever, and you can prove that it's come from the general because only the general knows some aspect, and you can use like a secret to be the input to another further secret sharing beyond that. So you can chain these things together, and so you can create um, like layers of hierarchy, like when all the lieutenants have come to make a decision, then you like you need three of them to make a decision. And so they can they can give the secret and use that to to sort of uh, to sign the decision that they've made by giving the the secret. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Part of the problem of this, of course, is that um, if you hand do the output, suddenly everyone knows the secret. <laughs> so it helps if you can uh, yeah <laughs> use a computer that can you just everyone just puts in their coordinate and it can verify without showing everybody the uh, the, the secret. Um... The computer is the general here. It's the dictator. Yeah. Yeah, so really, yeah, kind of what this is, is if you're in charge of the vault, and you have the, an unstealable key, Yeah. And, and, every, and someone else wants access to the vault, and, and you've delegated the decision as to whether someone has access to the vault um, to them, then they can come and they can, they, can, you can each, they can each whisper their coordinate in your ear, and you can just sit down with a piece of paper and work out if that matches the, uh, the secret. And then if it does match, then you go and open up the vault. You've delegated that to the computer. Right, I've got a problem. Okay. Um, it's taken from the matte paper, which is the Oxford Entry paper from a couple of years ago. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. It's from 2015, this one. Okay. Um, but it was just quite a nice structure to a question. So, hmm. um, They're going to be vampires and werewolves, and they're sitting around at a table. And... Um, they can tell the the other ones by sight, so it's obvious who's a werewolf and who's a vampire. Yeah, like, and everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. Thinks yep. it's perfect logic. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when they're making statements about people of the same species as themselves, they're going to tell the truth. Oh no! I know. Okay. Right? Uh, when they're te- when they're making statements about people on the other species, yeah, uh, they're going to lie. Okay. So, uh, if a vampire is saying uh, about, I don't know, the vampire next to him, Gregory, he's a vampire, that would be a true statement. 
If, okay. it, if they said he's wearing a red shirt, that would be a true statement because they share a species. Right. Um, it started as a white shirt, but it's just a bit messy with his dick. <laughs> Lots of blood in this one. It's very Halloween. Yeah. Um, so, I, I'm skipping a few bits of question here just to get to the nice bits. Um, suppose there are N creatures, where N is greater than two, yep. s- sitting around a circular table. Yep. Uh, they're all going to make the same statement, which is, is going to be a statement about their right-hand neighbour, which is, you lie about your right-hand neighbour. What can we infer from each, about each of them? So each of them is saying to the person on their right-hand side that they are lying about the person on their right-hand side. Can I just start saying some things and you tell me if it's right and it'll be really disappointing if I get them super quickly? Yeah, that's fine. We're going to go deeper after this. There's an even number of people sitting at the table. Okay. And they're sitting in groups of two. That sounds good. And they must also be sitting in... Yeah, because there can't be six. Why not? What happens with six? Because you can't fit groups of two around the table such that they main- they stay as groups of two. Yeah, why do you want so those groups There has to be a multiple of, of four people around the table. Uh, you want those groups of two because uh, the, the zomb- zombie... <laughs> the vampire <laughs> will say, you lie about the person to the right, to the werewolf. Yeah. Which will be wrong, so they'll be telling the truth about the person to their right, the werewolf to their right. Yep. So then, you've started off vampire, that's gone werewolf, that's gone werewolf. And then they will lie about the person to their right, which will be a vampire. And they'll say, you lie to the person to their right. But the person to their right to their right is also a vampire. Yep. And so that must make sense as well. But, so, that makes sense that they're in groups of two. Yep. But if you have six, then you can't have two groups of two next to each other, otherwise it won't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it must be groups of it must be a multiple of four around the table. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So multiple of four, they're going vampire, vampire, werewolf, werewolf, repeat. Yes. Cool. I can get into Oxford. Can't be zero. <laughs> right. Next part. Uh so similar situation. Yep. There's at least N of the well, there's N of them around a the table. Uh except now each tells their right hand neighbour your right hand neighbour lies about their right-hand neighbour. Your right-hand neighbour lies about their right-hand neighbour. What was the first question? It was, you lie about your right-hand neighbour. You lie about your right-hand... You're telling the person to your right, you lie about your right-hand neighbour. Your right-hand neighbour lies about their right-hand neighbour. So it's going one level deeper. Yeah, okay. This was the last part of the question on the mat, but I I was wondering what would happen to the, um, the pattern if we kept extending it. So this that you're asking me now was the last part of the question? Yep. Oh, it, well, it's, it ha- it's a good question to be on the mat. That's nice. It had some fluff pieces earlier on um, in the question that I've just skipped. I just skipped them. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> it's not alternating. I modeled alternating and that doesn't work. Yep. What, what goes wrong with it? Where does it reach contradiction? So if it's just alternating, let's say you're the vampire and you're saying this thing. Yep. Why do I associate myself with vampires more than werewolves? <laughs> Team Edward. Um... You say your right-hand neighbour lies about their right-hand neighbour. So you're lying to a werewolf. And so you must be saying your right-hand neighbour tells the truth about their right-hand neighbour. Okay. But that's not true because their right-hand neighbour... Hmm. Okay. Seat plus two... <laughs> yep. ...does not tell the truth about seat plus three because seat plus three is a werewolf. Seat plus two is a vampire. Have I explained this very well? So... No. Seat 
is saying to seat plus one that yep. seat plus two lies about seat plus three. But seat plus two does not lie about seat plus three. So okay. that statement is false. Yep. But they are lying to the werewolf. Yep. So it all cancels out and it ends up being not the case. So it's not alternating, is, is my answer. Um, Wait, it's not alternating in the same way as the previous one. It's is not it? going It's not going vampire, werewolf, vampire, werewolf, vampire, werewolf, is what I was saying. Does That's that what not I... work? I think that is one of the solutions. Oh, really? So, seat number one says to seat number two... Yep. They're saying to seat number two, seat number three lies about seat number four. They're telling the person to the right of them the truth, but the person to the right of them they should be lying to. Okay, so let me go back to the uh, the original specification here. Uh, vampires always tell the truth when talking about a vampire, but always lie when talking about a werewolf. Oh, so about. Yeah, it doesn't matter who they're talking to. Oh, how did I get the last question right by getting the premises wrong? <laughs> I did it based I th- on who they were talking to. I okay. think it was equivalent then. Yeah. Okay. They always lie when they're talking about a werewolf. Yep. Okay. Oh, wait, wait. Let, let me start again then. So, alternating. Your right-hand neighbour lies. Yeah, so alternating works. Okay. Yeah, because they're talking about their right-hand neighbour. That is one of the solutions. Okay. Now, I think what we had before also works. But I've only solved it for the case of like one of them. So, let's say you're the left-hand vampire. Yep. You say to a vampire, your right-hand neighbour, which is a werewolf, lies to their right-hand neighbour. But their right-hand neighbour, the werewolf's right-hand neighbour, is also a werewolf. That ain't true. So that works for that case. So if that person, the left-hand vampire, says it, that will be true. Yep. Then the right-hand vampire, which is the final case, might I add, because vampires and werewolves are equivalent, um, says, your right-hand neighbour lies about their right-hand neighbour to the werewolf. So they're going to be lying in this case. Yeah, yep. so that works too. That works as well. Mm-hmm. Your right-hand neighbour, who's a werewolf, lies to a vampire. Oh wait, that doesn't work, does it? No. Werewolves lie to vampires. They No, they Is... wear, lie when they're making statements about vampires. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lies about that right-hand. Mr. Werewolf, your werewolf friend lies about vampires, but I'm lying about werewolves. So this is the equivalent. This is the the truth is that I, the thing that should be the truth is me saying, Mr. Werewolf friend, your werewolf friend tells the truth about vampires, but that's not the case. So it does, it can't be it can't be two and two and two and two and two like it was before. Okay. Yeah. So are there any other interesting cases in which this is in this in which this works? Try it's the free free case. Hmm. Okay. So let's say I'm left hand vampire. Yep. Mister Vampire in the middle. Mister Vampire to the right lies about werewolf number one. That works. Yep. Mr. Right Hand Vampire, werewolf number one, lies about werewolf number two. <laughs> this is a great dinner party. That's that also works. Yep. Now I am now I am right hand vampire. Werewolf number one, left hand werewolf. Did you know? Second werewolf lies about third werewolf. That works as well. 
So that case works. Yeah. Does this expand out to like all odd numbered groups? Well, this is what I w- wanted to think about. Hmm. Um, because for the the case before, we had the kind of twos, the pairs. This one, it went into the threes, but also the ones. It feels like if you kept chaining on those statements, if you changed the problem to have an extra about your right-hand neighbour, yeah, then the case vampire, 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 werewolf, 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 would work. Feels like it's the same logic. But lying, it sort of it flips back and forth. Yeah. So maybe if you add another case, it just goes back to two again. Well, we don't know if there would also be smaller cases, like there was for the three. So does it work for the five? Vampire two. Vampire three lies about vampire four. No, that doesn't work. But if it's vampire two, vampire three lies about vampire four lying about vampire five. Mm-hmm, oh, yeah. oh, that get, oh, that gets messy with a high degree. <laughs> like, I, I just... that That's more than one layer removed by adding that. Yeah. Because what would four say about five? I don't think four has anything to say about five. Lies about vampire two. Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, I think I've got it. Okay. Vampire two. Vampire three lies about what vampire four has to say about vampire number five. But it doesn't go much further because you're only talking about what vampire two. Yeah. Yeah. There's only one actual person in there. Yeah. So maybe there's a different way of formulating it that makes it more complex. So in the current form, what conclusion are you coming to? I think it's still three, but it's it would be too bad radio for me to work through <laughs> if it is or not. I'm getting quite lost. Yeah. I think you need a bit of paper. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Listeners, one for you, I think, given that you get the opportunity to sit down with a piece of paper. And so do we, to be fair, but we just don't have a good way of conveying it via voice. It's probably a great YouTube video to be made from this, or something of that ilk. Yeah, lots of little animations of vampires and werewolves. Yeah. Wonderful. So, thank you for coming along and having a listen to the show. We're going to talk about how satisfied we were with the various conversations. It's what we do every time. So, question number one. What did we talk about? Uh, it was trapezium numbers. Ah, uh, yes. It was trapezium numbers. Now, did you know the solution before you went into it? You didn't? No. No. And you managed to get it? Yep. Pretty conclusively? Well, we know that it's... We can't make one thousand and twenty-four. Yep. But we haven't got a proof that we can't do any of the other ones. So given that the puzzle was find the one number... Yep. Happy that I've solved that. Happy we solved that. But we can't prove that it is one number. Yep. Okay. I mean, we can with a piece of Haskell code and a little and just do it on a computer, but that's not good enough. Well, in in general, we're suggesting that powers of two are the ones you can't do. Yeah. And also the number one. Oh, I suppose it's power of two. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so it is. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Um, seven. Oh, that's quite a big discount to the can't do this thing that I randomly decided to add onto it. I thought, thought of it as a jumping-off point rather than a puzzle to solve. It looked an interesting mathematical space. Ah. I'm going to go with an 8 on that one. Just because I don't think that you should discount it that hard. Okay. Yep. Then what do we do? Then we did Shamir's Shared Secrets. 
Or Shamir's secret sharing. Yeah. I like the idea of this one. Yeah. I like that it's a... Uh, something complex and... Cryptographic. Yep. Useful. But that it's like quite basic, sort of calculus-y, pre-calculus type algebra. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. It shows that these things have value, you know? Like the next time... Next time some ratty child asks you, what is the value of a po- knowing what a polynomial is in real life? It's, it'll be, you just wait until, you know, there's three people that need to enter a vault. I know that the suggestion that came into the show was about, like, right, think about how that then starts chaining into other stuff. But frankly, okay. it, took us, it took us a whole episode to get our heads around whether it was true and it worked or not. So maybe we can think about that another time. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give... Well, it was a good enough conversation. And, you know, you provoked it with a... Is that the case? And think we managed to prove... Proof via odds and evenings. Which is the uh, scant evidence in one example. Um, <laughs> that it was the case. Well, you presented it as something that was true. And it was a surprising result to me. So I just wanted to check that it was sensible. Yeah. But I, I didn't manage to fit the brief of... Of... Starting to think about high order things. So, six. Eight. It was something new to me. I like the idea. Yeah. And it's been a while since we talked about these kind of, like, Syrian knowledge proof or Byzantine general problem sort of things. Yeah, it's all in the same category, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then the last one, um, it was vampires and werewolves sitting around a table. So, I quite liked that I managed to get the answer to the, the weebly version of it, the weaker version of it. Hmm. quite quickly I thought it was going to chain nicer than it did it got too case by case yeah it gets very messy very quickly I'm sure there's actually some neater way of thinking about it that's just being avoided just thinking about zeros and ones and flipping up or down that sort of thing yeah yeah it's probably something like that two it was a dud it was a dud well I'm a little more satisfied I'm going to give it a five okay yeah So thank you very much for coming along to Odds and Evenings. Uh, my name has been Alex. Alaric's name has been Alaric. Uh, you can find us online at, at Odds and Evenings on Twitter. You can also find us on our own website at oddsandevenings.com. If you go on oddsandevenings.com slash contact or you click the contact button when you're on the homepage, you can uh, reach us through there. There's a form you can fill in. It drops in our inbox. If you want to write something longer than a tweet, uh, you can do that. Uh, you can find me personally at at speak mouth words. Uh, you can't find Alaric, sorry. I've been getting really into the uh, Odds and Evenings Twitter account. Yeah, basically Alaric is the Odds and Evenings Twitter account at this point. Um, so if you want to find Alaric, just tweet at, uh, at Odds and Evenings. Music in the background by David Russell 323 who posted something interesting on to Twitter at me, which I then forwarded to at Odds and Evenings um, to do with time signatures. Uh, somebody had taken take five and they'd like lopped off one of the beats in the bar um, down to down to four, which I think was a, a nice callback to one of the things that we were talking about on the show. You sent me um, take five eight. That was the one from David Russell. Oh, take five eight, yeah. But they're which taking it... out three apes. Um... Taking it from 10 beats to uh, 7 apes. Yeah. So, so that's pretty good. <laughs> it worked as a song. It was great. Yeah. Um, 
what else is there to be said about the show? We have a Reddit. You can go on the Reddit. And if you want to post something even longer than an email or something like that, or you want other people to respond to it, you can go uh, reddit.com slash r slash odds and evenings. There's a Facebook. You can find us on there. It would be very nice if you could post some honest reviews on uh, iTunes. And uh, just a general thank you to everybody for the year. I know we already did a thanks at the start. Do, do, do. Get in contact at any point. Um, about any episode you've that you've listened to, uh, share us your hashtag Big Old Primes, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you next time. We made it a year, Alex. We did it. Here's to another year, at the very least. Do you want to say bye or now? Oh, bye. <laughs> <laughs> We made it a year, Alex. We did it. Here's to at least three more months. Oh, no. Don't see the doubt in people's minds. <laughs> by which I mean mine. We're doing uh, this. By which I mean <laughs> the people that listen to the outtakes at the end. Yeah. Massive exploding Boolean formulas. <laughs>